2: Welcome back to your Tuesday Buckeye Talk. From Cleveland.com, Douglas Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, Jim Knowles, Tim Walton, Perry Aliano, Justin Fry. It's like they're all here because we met them and talked to them for the first time on Monday. Four new assistant coaches for the Ohio State Buckeyes. We got to talk to the four new assistants for like 25 minutes each, maybe 30 minutes each. And we also got Ryan Day for half an hour. So unlike some Buckeye Talks, lots of new information here. It's funny. as as Steven had said before, they were been out on the road recruiting for all of January, which is why we're just getting to talk to these guys now. But Nathan, like they they're sitting down having meetings like, OK, who's Jack Sawyer? Like, OK, uh, Jordan Hancock, he seems good. Uh, I was talking, you know, it was they did a good job. Jerry and Megan, Mike Basford and the sports information crew did a good job. Like we, they had the coaches out on the indoor at the Woody. Ryan Day was in the team room. And the four assistants, two at a time, were out uh, at tables in the Woody. So you could you had time to talk to those guys. But then you could sort of grab them a little bit and introduce yourself. Everybody's in a line. A little behind the scenes, it's like, everybody get in line. Try to develop a relationship with the new coaches. But, Nathan, like, they don't know who these guys are yet. I was talking to one coach, and I was, like, going through guys. And I was like, oh, what am I doing? I'm telling you. It's your your players. And it's like, well, you guys know, like, know more about them than we do at this point because they're like literally one of the things they did on Monday is they went through every single player on the roster as a staff and talked about the guys and how they fit and what they might do and it's just it's funny sort of Nathan to me to sort of think about that that they're starting these are four assistants starting on the ground floor with this roster
1: yeah I mean obviously we know that they had been doing you know winter workouts for a while but that's mostly the Mickey Marotti realm right and as well, the say, coaches you know, can't even be around is, for that. Like, yeah, can, right. Right. It so cool. it's it, right. So really, it's um. I was talking to Jim Knowles later about you know how crucial it is to like get to know these guys as people. Um, there may be some you know coach beat corniness in that to some extent, but I think to some extent it's it's true that really all he has to go on now is looking back on film and stuff from last year. And that can be deceiving. You don't know, you don't always have the proper perspective as to why a guy did what he did on a certain play. If you're not there, you weren't in the meetings all week, you weren't talking to the guy before and after the game and and on the sideline and all that stuff. So it's, there was, I thought, good insight today into, now it almost seemed like today was really the start of everything for them. I mean, yes, they have, you know, been, talking. Yes, they've been analyzing things, but you know, until you start breaking down the roster and and finally, you know, we we go there and we want to know some specifics about what are these positions going to look like in your defense, Jim Knowles. And he can kind of talk to us a, a little bit about that, about what he's done in the past, but as to what it'll look like at Ohio State, still a little bit hard to project that because he doesn't yet know a lot about the actual personnel he'll be putting on the field this fall.
2: So he knows what he wants. He knows what kind of skill sets he wants at different position groups. But yeah, he doesn't know how the personnel fits. That I was talking to somebody, uh, one of the new coaches, Stephen, and and so they were like, "Oh, it's, seems like there's some good young corners." <laughs> it's like, yeah, you. Can. I mean, I'm I, and I'm not like it just because even like the idea of like, how much time have they had to watch film, right? And some of these guys they don't they don't have any film. It's like, how could you have an opinion on Jordan Hancock from film? There's nothing to watch. How could you have much of an opinion on Cam Martinez even from film? He played like a game or two, and then they switched positions, but like there's not a ton to watch. Um, I do think, and Ryan Day kind of mentioned that, Stephen, like there. This is these are guys who are going to get, and we talked about before, there are guys getting fresh starts if they want it, because basically the entire defensive side of the ball, save for Larry Johnson, is coming in with fresh eyeballs on everybody
0: and it's really fresh starts because one of the things i was especially the defensive back coaches uh i was asking you know did you even know any of these guys from the recruiting trail and it's like not really because one of them's been in the nfl for the last decade or so and the other one's coming from cincinnati so the only ones that perry eliano knew were Jalen johnson who tore his acl before last season and was a freshman and then Jair brown who just get, just got here as in like the last two or three weeks here as an early enrollee so there, there's not even a relationship from that standpoint they're very much starting from square one with a lot of these guys and all they have to go off of is the film of last year but even with that you know the assistant coaches are always going to say stuff like yeah but it's hard for me to gauge that when you don't know what the job they were supposed to be doing is where you know what their exact role was and all that you know all the coach speak stuff like that so it it, it very much is kind of like a, a chance to have, a, a, as Ryan Day put it, a fresh start or press the reset button on that entire defensive room, obviously outside of the defensive line. So we have a lot
2: of ground to cover. We want to talk about players and how some of the players may fit into the different roles that Jim Knowles has in his defense. We want to give you a little taste of the four coaches, Perry Aliano, Tim Walton in the secondary, Justin Fry on the offensive line, and Jim Knowles at linebacker and as the defensive coordinator. And then we want to talk what you know about what Ryan Day – talked about and why he made these coaching changes and how it affects Ryan day, which I am very interested in, but also there's some roster management stuff that has come up. So let's do a little house cleaning with that. Nathan off the top, as people know the scholarship limit in college football is 85. That's what you've got to be. The number you have to be at when the season starts. So you have time to get there. People also know that Wednesday is the, late signing day Ohio State's going to sign two more players on that day and that's going to put them above 90 and it gets complicated with the extra year of eligibility that everybody has because of the COVID year the over the NCAA at the time they overreached they were trying to be nice the NCAA is like that grumpy old uncle that doesn't really know how to relate to you and it's like oh I got your birthday present do you like long underwear and it's like, I'm six. What are you doing, uncle? Like, do you, Have you never met a kid? And so then the NCAA, as the mean old uncle, was like, the next birthday, it was like, well, last time I got your long underwear, and I don't know what to do with kids. And then they bought everybody a pony. And it's like, well, that's not the answer either. Where are we going to put the pony? Is the pony going to live in the garage? Who's going to claim up that for the pony? That was not a good present either. So they've given this gift, Nathan, and the gift is, sorry but you don't have enough roster spots for all the guys on your team. And one of the very first questions that Dave Biddle asked and everybody else would ask the same kind of thing. is like, well, who's coming back? And man, Nathan, like almost everybody who, not everybody, but there's a lot of guys coming back for extra years that are like complicating the roster process a little bit. What can we tell our dear Buckeye talk listeners about the numbers and how it might work out?
1: See, as I texted to our, uh, followers earlier today, that this was going to be one of the questions that I had for Ryan Day, too, because at some point we needed to get some clarity on what was happening with this roster. I have them with 92 scholarship players right now. And as you said, they have to get down to 85. But today the revelations were that Jaron Cage is coming back for what would be his sixth season. Taraja Mitchell, who we talked about last week and really kind of brushed over as we were talking about the depth chart, because we weren't really sure where he would really fit if he did come back. But Day says he is coming back. And Paulie D'Antote, who all along would have had this extra year anyway. He only played two games his last year at USC. This would just be a fifth-year senior who, having used a red shirt. So he's really still just on his normal path uh, at this stage. But all three of those guys, Day confirmed, are coming back. There are some other guys like Teron Vincent. Nobody, I guess, asked about him today, but we've had no indications that he's not coming back. Another guy who would have done four years again would be on like just a normal fifth year thing. And then I guess the other news today was him was day saying that seven banks uh, who has graduated is not coming back, although he then sort of put it out there like I'm having a conversation with his family tomorrow, which I thought was a little bit awkward like I wasn't I didn't know how to read that because like it seems like he's definitely saying he's not coming back but I don't think he would be saying I'm going to tell him tomorrow he's not coming back but then why mention you're having the meeting I don't know but still they're at 92 that that is pretty full but at the same time day says it's something has to be managed but not something that is a problem necessarily at least in his mind that he thinks that this will take care of itself through the portal and uh, so I would expect to uh, a pretty significant number, at especially a couple of positions where they're pretty loaded up, will probably filter out between now and shortly after the spring.
2: They have like 12 or 13 linebackers for a team that's going to play two linebackers. They have a lot of offensive linemen who have not played and you don't know exactly where they fit on the depth chart. I've always tried to be a stickler on this stuff because I think, always felt like it's unfair to push guys out because you oversign it's like oh well yeah some five-star wanted to come we got a little hot now now you get now now some guy has been here for two or three years you're shoving him out the door and there was a time five six eight years ago it felt like well that was a a bigger issue in college football with the sec generally maybe oversigning more The Big Ten being a little bit more stringent with its rules. I was very on alert about this with Urban Meyer. When Urban Meyer got here, it was like, we're going to hold you accountable on the numbers and we're going to be on alert for guys getting pushed out unfairly and through no fault of their own. But Steven, like with the COVID year and and the transfer portal, those two things combined and with how much freedom players now have, again, I think every... Most people have come around on we're in favor, favor of players having freedom. But there, there there, are things that come with that. And Ryan Day on Monday was much more interested in making sure they weren't under the 85 than he was worried about being over the 85 because he's assuming portal stuff. And so then it's like, I don't want to like put Ohio state in a situation they're not in yet. But when you know the portals are reality and guys are going to take that opportunity because they have freedom. Now, if you've got to, I don't, I don't want to be glib about it. I'm less of a stickler on the coaches and from the school standpoint, because freedom is here. And then I understand schools wanting to make sure like, well, we want to, we don't want to be an 81. Right. So I, I view it a little bit differently. Is that a fair way that like the, I'm getting, I'm taking a long time to get to this point. I did podcasts for like four days and I forgot how to do it. Five years ago, the idea that they would be at 92 in February and they have to get to 85 by September. I would have been like, what are you going to do? Because this is seven guys who aren't going to be here. Are like this, this is too much. This is too much attrition to be counting on. But to me, Steven, right now, I don't think that way. Is that, right? is that the right way to see it? That to say it'll work itself out is fine.
0: You don't feel as bad anymore when you know that the coaches are going to have to have a conversation with a player that is basically them pushing them out of the program. And it's because player free movement, and the freedom they have here, they're kind of making some money now. But more importantly, like the COVID year that nobody could plan for, that all these players are getting this extra year when they, the NCAA should not have done that. So, when you have all these extra extra factors, it's like, okay, you've been, you served your four or five years here. Like, what, you don't need to come back this year. Why are you doing that? So, it, it's, it's fine. to. It, it's not so much that you're more on the side of, you know, the university. It's just that now you understand why certain things have to go the way they go. And there's no, like, there's no cute way to say Ohio State's got to push out seven guys this offseason.
1: I mean, to me, it's all about, the one-time transfer allowance because in the past when these situations arose i think it's kind of what you're hinting at doug like when a when a program would make the mistake either over recruit or uh make a mistake on just how good a player was like the player then bore all of the quote unquote punishment right of correcting that they had to sit out the year and go somewhere else and now by being able to just move directly to another program and keep playing right away even as a sophomore or junior or whatever without having to grad transfer. I think that does change the equation a little bit.
2: And I, I have always believed to some degree in you're here, you get four years. Like we're not gonna we're not gonna push you out like you get four years here. But we're not guaranteed fifth year. Like you might redshirt, but sometimes it's like, well the reason you redshirted is because you weren't good enough to play and now you're sticking around for a fifth year and like maybe we'll even like, I don't know. Sometimes you can Medically declare a guy injured or whatever and keep him on scholarship, but it doesn't count against the 85. But like, we're not guaranteeing a fifth year where in year five, like, you're not going to help us. And you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that's okay too. I think that's okay too. And now we're talking about fifth and sixth years with some guys who haven't played much. I've decided that extra year because so everybody had a waiver last year on the numbers for the COVID stuff, but now. The players have the waiver to say, hey, you have an extra year, but the teams no longer have the waiver to say magic wand. You don't have to worry about the 85. Rather than calling that the COVID year, my children over the weekend were just both. They were in the Outsiders. It was the the play that was performed at at our high school, and both of my daughters were in it, and, and everybody knows. I actually didn't read the Outsiders when I was in school. I feel left out. Pony boy. Pony boy is the main character in The Outsiders. I'm going to start calling this based on my previous analogy your pony year. That like everybody got a pony year for the COVID. So are you going to use your pony year or not? The pony's still in the garage for another year. So, Nathan, just because you have a pony year, I don't know that it guarantees that like your school has to be completely receptive to you being at that program for the pony year when they're like, You've been here for six years. Your third string. I don't know what to tell you. Like that's not running a guy off
1: to me. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to see. Well, let's just. I mean, let's just talk about the actual names we're talking about here. Because really, I think it's it's like Jeron Cage and Taraja Mitchell are two interesting examples of this. Because I think Ohio State could really use Jeron Cage this season. Like, another veteran defensive tackle, a guy who is more of a true nose that would fit there, maybe at the top, or somewhere involved in that rotation. Like, I see how Jerron Cage helps this team. And I have nothing against, obviously, Taraja Mitchell, and he actually still played a lot this past year. He finished, like, sixth on Ohio State in tackles. But, as you already said, they've got, like, now 12 linebackers for two spots I don't know exactly what kind of linebacker they are going to want for this particular defense as they're arranging it. And is, is it, I I guess I understand why Taraji Mitchell would want to come back and play another year, but does, does it help Ohio state win more games if he plays another year? And so how are you having those conversations? Those are really the two that, that jump out to me. They're sort of both sides of the same coin or whatever. Whereas one of them, you you see it is a mutually beneficial arrangement, and I see it less with Taraja Mitchell. Because last year, you could bring back DeMario McCall, and there was no penalty for anybody. Right. Didn't there? Couldn't count against the uh, limit. And, uh, you know, he wasn't being hampered anyway, and he still got to come back and have an, it, this, the experience of, of the past season. But now the consequences are different. So I'm going to be interested to see, you know, Yes, he's saying today that Taraji Mitchell's coming back, which means Taraji Mitchell will be here this spring. We'll see if all these guys who say they're coming back are still coming back at the end of the spring.
2: And Taraji Mitchell was a captain last year. Like, Taraji Mitchell in <laughs> his own way, even though he sort of lost playing time steadily over the course of the season, certainly helped Ohio State. So it's it's hard, but we kind of know what we're talking about. Again, like the linebacker room is a place where you just look where it's like – they just – they're, they can't have 13 linebackers on, for a position where two guys play in the fall when they're seven over the scholarship numbers. So like, you just have to look at that room. You have to look at offensive line and some of this stuff. I do think it's okay for now. We'll still be on alert, but it's okay for now to think about it'll work itself out. But the bottom line, Steven is once they sign the two, who are the two guys that are going to sign on Wednesday?
0: Carson Heinzman is 100% for sure. Signing that is guaranteed to happen. Um, Amari Abor, Carson Heisman's offensive lineman, uh, top 150 recruit offensive lineman. Um, That is guaranteed to happen. Amari Abor, top 100 defensive end, we think it's going to happen. And that's been the case with him ever since he committed is that, okay, Ohio State won the commitment. Can they actually win the battle to sign this kid? And so as of right now, there's reason to believe he will sign, but it is the one that, you know, you kind of want to hold your breath a little bit until they actually get that piece of paper in the facts. And Hero Canoe signed, like, uh, whatever. He signed during ago. the early signing period, silent commit, just because he's a teenager and wanted to actually announce at the All-American game, which kind of sucked because he didn't actually get to do it because he ended up testing positive for COVID. So he had to do it from the hotel room down there in San Antonio. But, yes, he is already signed, which is why Ryan Day could talk about him today. Which is why they're at 92. Yes. That, yeah, it includes hence those
2: two. The two guys who are not yet in the class – they're in yes. the 92 that we're counting. So that's not going to push yes. them to 94. Go ahead,
1: Nathan. And I just want to point out to people that there are a couple of little wrinkles here that if Ohio State was really up against it, like Mitch Rossi, he went on scholarship last year. Uh, day wasn't asked today, but like I, I, I think there's a situation where he wouldn't necessarily have to be on scholarship this fall. Like That could just have been a one-year thing if they're really yeah. pressed on the numbers. If they get down to 86 and opening day is coming up, then maybe he doesn't get to be on scholarships. It wouldn't come down. it wouldn't be that close to the season, but you know what I'm saying. So they have some flexibility on a cup on at least on him. But it again, it, it there is gonna there's definitely gonna be attrition that's gonna bring this number down.
2: I really I'm out of practice. Like exciting news. We finally got to talk to four assistants, but let's obsess over scholarship numbers for 15 minutes first before we talk about the new guys. Let's talk about I want to talk quickly before the break about how guys are going to fit into this Jim Knowles defense. So Jim Knowles is here. We've talked about it. We got, I thought, a decent amount more clarity. I tried to ask a question, even like I asked it wrong, and he kind of answered a thing that I didn't mean, and then Landis had to jump in and save me. I tried to ask about like a safety. It it, It was slightly informative. I asked about a linebacker safety hybrid position. And he said, I think you mean the linebacker defensive end hybrid hybrid position. But I didn't. I meant like that box safety bullet, whatever. But like, it's pretty, he doesn't think about that position that way. That's why he answered that way. He just thinks of it as three safeties. Because then Landis said, well, what do you mean? What are the three safety roles? And then he explained that. So the idea of that other, the only hybrid is defensive end linebacker. It's otherwise. It's two linebackers, three safeties, and two corners, and we did get a little information about that. And the, the one of the conclusions feels like to me that Court Williams is going to be a linebacker and it, um, it hurt Nathan's feelings. He he brought it up and he said, "I told you guys you was going to be a linebacker, and you didn't listen to me." So Nathan, you can talk about this because it feels like. Any idea? They're looking for two deep safeties, and the the other safety is like a slot corner. It's more like a slot corner. They want coverage, man coverage skills in the slot from the third safety. The boundary safety deep is going to have some more run cut, run stopping responsibilities. And you can even watch a Jim Knowles defense. That safety is often sort of moving towards the line of scrimmage at the snap, even though he starts deep. And then that leaves the second deep safety as that center field field safety, you know, Jordan Fuller type of thing. But it feels like Nathan, like Court Williams doesn't fit really any of those three safety spots, which means he's probably a linebacker, which brings the linebacker count to 13
1: bodies for two spots. Yeah, I think the important thing, the most important thing he said about those safeties was that that nickel back safety, for lack of a better term, what would have just probably been called a slot cornerback three years ago in a cover safety in in Ohio State's parlance, that that position does not really have run defense responsibilities. They're mostly there to match up with slot receivers. And we talked about this when we were going down the depth route, Like uh, somebody's going to have to do that job, and that the way that they, he structures it, that doesn't fall to the cover safety or to the, to a strong safety coming down and playing in the box. It's it's just a different way of looking at it. So I, now I did not predict. I think I, I think I predicted court Williams as a starter in my depth chart thing. So I'm not, not that offended because it was just like something I brought up in passing. Like, Hey, we might want to though, keep in mind that if they want to go with this kind of athlete at that spot, court Williams has to go somewhere else. And that does seem to be a place where they should at least give him a look because you're right. Like it, it, they'll do a lot of really interesting things with the safeties. You know, they'll line, they'll line them all three up at the same depth. It's, it's a lot of stuff about, you know, disguising coverages. And he got into that a little bit today and they'll do that with those safeties. And I think that what core Williams is as an athlete, what he is as a body and, what he the way he was kind of coming on last year like look at him even in the Rose Bowl like why was he on the field to start the Rose Bowl it was because he's there to stop the run and those two deep safeties do a lot of that but I agree with you that that doesn't seem to maybe be um his most natural role that it, as i'm I'm just considering court Williams like does it make more sense to have him there or make more sense to have him at like will linebacker or that kind of depth? where he can be much closer to the ball and and maybe do more of a variety of things for you.
2: All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll figure out how to podcast again. We'll come back and do more on all this stuff on Buckeye Talk. Doug Nathan-Steven, back in the groove. 614-350-3315 for the text. We sent a lot of texts on Monday. A lot of texts on Monday. Malcolm Rodriguez has a name to keep in mind if you guys want to go Google that. Started off as a safety at Oklahoma State, then wound up playing Will Linebacker for three years under Jim Knowles. That's a comparison for Court Williams. Keep that in mind. I think that's a possibility of how that works out. So, Stephen, then I think as we're trying to fit personnel to what Jim Knowles wants, it feels like that, that nickelback slot safety, that feels like Cam Martinez, Lathan Ransom, right? Because part of what happened last year, and again, this is where the different responsibilities come in. Cam Martinez could play that when it was mostly coverage responsibilities, but as soon as they started playing some teams where they wanted their slot nickelback guy to be a little more active and stop in the run, that's where they went to Marcus Williamson. And they didn't feel as great about Cam Martinez doing that. Now, Jim Knowles is explaining That nickel spot in the slot, I'm not worried about run stopping with that guy. And then that, to me, opens up Cam Martinez back there. We want you to have man coverage skills. I think it opens up Lathan Ransom there. And I do think it could bring some corners into that mix, right, that – um, you know, if you like Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock and Jacqueline Johnson and you think they all should play and you think those three might all be in your best 11 or that Cam Brown is really locking down a corner spot and you want Jordan Hancock or Jacqueline Johnson on the field, the fact that Jim Knowles wants coverage skills from that slot nickel corner, slot nickel safety, brings other cornerbacks into that idea. But that is a little different than what they wanted out of that slot cover safety position last year when marcus williamson was a guy who could cover but also come up and stop the run a little bit right it's a little bit of a tweak
0: yeah but also even if they did have kind of the same philosophy with that cover safety position as they did last year late uh Cam martinez is now a year older and he's been playing defensive back now for three years so maybe he's just getting better at stopping the run in year three than he would i just don't think but i don't think
2: they think he's physical enough to stop the run i
0: think they're which is which, which is fine, but I do think this is an opportunity that, and I don't. I mean, Latham Ransom is not going to be participating in spring practice. He broke his leg, so he's not going to be participating. But I do think that when we get into spring football, there is a chance that the first team cover safety or whatever they end up calling that that slot corner safety position. Now that Jim Knowles is here, Tanner McAllister probably going to be with the first team, and then Cameron Martinez is with the second team to start things off, just because Tanner's played the position already, and he's the only guy on that defense who kind of knows Jim Knowles' terminology already and stuff like that. But I do think there's an opportunity there for Lathan Ransom or Cam Martinez to really lock that spot down now that we know it's more about coverage you know, responsibilities than anything else.
1: Yeah, everything I heard today makes me think that's Tanner McAllister's job to lose for opening day. I mean, Jim Knowles was talking about how he was surprised he was even in the portal because he thought he was going off to the NFL. So I, I this idea, yeah, you now yes, he's also talking about how he's already started, you know, kind of taking some of the other guys out and showing them things and getting a jump on on teaching this defense. But he's not here just to T.A. defense for Jim Knowles. Uh, he's here to play football. And I, I think just the way he talked about him today, I would I would my guess is Tanner McAllister starts on opening day.
2: He was said he, like, when he was walking around when Jim Knowles used to walk around like the warm-up line before games and you have little chit-chat with the guys, with the fellas. Uh, he said he always used to walk by Tanner McAllister and say, You're a professional. You're a professional. Because like he thought he he's gonna be a professional football player someday. So yeah, I think I think if we if we haven't been giving Tanner McAllister enough attention, I think yes, I agree with every what you guys are saying. You gotta you gotta really think hard about him there. Then I think that Boundary safety, again, you can see that. And and that's kind of what Ronnie Hickman was doing. Ronnie Hickman was deep, but what would still be involved, making a lot of tackles and stuff. Court Williams could be there, but if Court Williams is there, he's behind Ronnie Hickman. And then the field safety, the center fielder, the captain of the defense, as Jim Knowles said, that's Josh Proctor or Bryson Shaw. That's, That's one of those two guys it feels like right now, and then they can try out some other guys there. But... I, I it just it just does seem like to me that Court Williams gets in that mix at linebacker. I think Jim Knowles is going to see that, Steven, I just d- I just I could see Jim Knowles seeing Court Williams and being like, no, yeah, no. like I it, that vibe came through a little bit more today. Um, that that guy might just be a linebacker in this defense, and that Malcolm Rodriguez five eleven, not the biggest guy in the world, but I think Jim Knowles liked him in space. I think he was smart, and I think Court Williams is is both of those things, and I could see. I can see linebacker being where he settles.
0: Ohio State, I don't know, intentionally is making like linebacker the most annoying thing to watch this spring because they're with adding Cade Stover to that mix, adding Diamante Tranum to that mix after he's been playing running back his entire career, all the young guys they have, they didn't lose anybody in that linebacker room. They just didn't play that well. Then you added all these other factors. And now if you want to throw Court Williams into that mix, um, It's going to be really interesting the next time we talk to Jim Knowles during the spring when we also have like that'll probably be the day we also talk to the linebackers. So by then he'll have some type of gauge of what he has in the room. Some of the guys will know what they're doing out there. And so we can really get a gauge on how this is going to work and how this is going to look and who actually might play because there's a lot of names and not a lot and not a lot of answers that he could give today, especially since this was the first time he was really around anybody in that room. All
2: right, so then, uh, the defensive line, Um, this Leo spot. I was going to ask him, like, are you guys? How do you how do you pick names? How do you pick the names for your spots? What do you think? You know, what do you think you might name the spots at Ohio State? But I decided to be a professional and not ask that. This, so talking a little more about this, this this is the stand up rush end spot. It's you take one of your defensive ends and you stand them up and you move them around. And I got more of an impression today that this is truly like the key spot for the defense, because I th- I think Jim Knowles believes in the versatility of that spot. That person has to be able to stand up and move and operate in space. But I also think you need somebody with a big, high big time football IQ at that spot. Because Jim Knowles wants that spot to move around. And he talked a lot about not wanting the offense to know what you're doing. And I think the number one way that Jim Knowles, he he, he was sort of saying, like, we want the offense to take a couple pictures of our defense. And like, we might look like this, we might look like this, we might look like this. But however we look, you have no idea what we're gonna do once the ball snapped. He wants that stand-up rush end to be a pain in the neck for teams that run zone read. He wants that to be in the head of the quarterback as he's trying to figure out pre-snap what's going on. Clearly, that's where you get a lot of your pressures. And I think it is a load for that position to carry. He did confirm, as you had previously mentioned before, Stephen, and I was certainly skeptical about it, that position can come out of a linebacker room or come out of the defensive end room. But to me, with as this, this roster is situated right now, with the players they have, you've got to be getting Jack Sawyer, JT out, and Zach Harrison on the field. And if they're all playing like one defensive end spot and that spot's more like a linebacker, then it's like, what are you doing? Those guys aren't going to be getting enough snaps. I know Jack Sawyer is, is a name they are considering for that spot. I'm sure Zach, I would imagine Zach Harrison is in that mix too, but Nathan, I got a better read on how really important that spot is. And that guy is just going to be jumping around, trying to get in the heads of quarterbacks and offensive coordinators. And it's not just about, you know, put your hand on the ground and get after the passer. Now you're going to be rushing the passer a lot out of that, but you really are going to be a key in confusing offenses.
1: So, yeah, I wrote something uh, this morning for the site uh, for Tuesday m- or Monday morning, I should say, where I kind of talked about, you know, Sawyer and Martinez and Williams and how they have to figure out how to use them in this defense uh, as we th- the same way we have talked about them on the pod. And I found a um, another podcast that, that Knowles had done with someone and I'm forgetting the name of it now and I'm trying to find it. I I can't remember exactly for sure, but it was, it was a very X's nose podcast where he talked about what he wants from that position. And basically he said, and again, he's talking from a very Oklahoma state perspective, but that you, it doesn't have to be um, a super dynamic player. It's more about a a guy who can make plays and a guy who is smart and a guy who is, you know, assertive or or whatever. And now he's, again, that's from an Oklahoma state perspective where they recruit at a different level at Ohio state it can be a highly ranked guy because it, it it is all highly ranked guys that you're doing. So I think someone like Sawyer does make a lot of sense there. I guess my partially because they're going to have to put one of their good defensive ends there. I think almost because if they don't, then you're only playing one of those guys at a time. And that seems like a waste between Harrison and uh, JT to and and Sawyer. You do have to have some real versatility though. You do have to have, Real mobility because another thing that they'll do at that position is it's not just the stand-up end, and it's not just the stand-up over the center where you go to almost a three-man front with that guy standing up in the middle. Like I've seen um, film breakdowns where they have that guy playing linebacker where they just move him all the way back into the second so you're almost you're in like a three-three look at that point, and playing basically middle linebacker. So it it is more than just being a, an edge rusher or a pass rusher that there is more f- um, finesse to it, I guess you would say than that. Uh, you have to have a broader skill set than that. So it still seems though that like Sawyer might fit there because I you look back at like things like the spring game, you look back at just really Jack Sawyer's whole prep career where they could you know, someone who had the IQ and the Um, the attributes that you could put him at quarterback if you had to. And they did like, that just seems like the kind of guy who could grow into a position that is this um, flexible and, and and that would have this many responsibilities on it.
0: Doug, I want to ask you a quick question. Um, 2017, when they had a gaggle of just defensive linemen all over the place, it, would it be fair to say that Sam Hubbard would have fit this Leo role perfectly? I was just—I was going through that in my
2: head right now. Okay, that's exactly what I—the conclusion I came to. I was like, I don't think Tyquan Lewis. I don't think that would fit his skill set. I don't know Nick Bosa. I don't think that would fit his skill set. Jalen Holmes was more a tackle than than a guy like that. But I think Sam Hubbard could have done it. And I was trying to go through defensive ends at Ohio State, like who could have been really comfortable in that, and who maybe wouldn't have been super comfortable. I almost wonder, I think Joey Bosa might have been decently comfortable in it. Mm. I feel like Nick would have been a little less so. Um, Like, I think Chase Young would have been comfortable doing it. They did it
0: with him in the Wisconsin game, kind of, when they just had him standing up and said, pick your gap and go have fun. But
2: But you you have to be careful of, like, sort of what you're saying, Nathan. Like, part of this is, not that you're a decoy, but it's that, like, you're sort of filling a role to – Be confusing. But you also want to make sure that, like, if it's Chase Young, that that guy is also able to get to the quarterback Mm -hmm. as quickly as possible on most snaps, however you're doing that. So, like, I don't want Chase Young at middle linebacker on some snaps, but I do think you've got to have good feet and you've got to have a football IQ. You can't be as much about sort of straight power pass rushing. So there clearly have been guys who would have fit that, but I think there have been guys who would not have fit that. But Hubbard, I think, comes to mind immediately as a guy who, like, played some safety and played some tight end and played like, which makes you think maybe Cade Stover can do that. But again, I actually think Zach Harrison could do this. I do think like football IQ, I think Zach Harrison has good feet. I think he fits both of those. He's a big physical guy, but I, I think he could do it. Like I I, I'll be, maybe this is like, maybe this unlocks Zach Harrison, but I, the thing that, that in, in sort of chatting with Jim Knowles a little bit is, I got a better sense of sort of how that kind of unlocks a lot of what he wants to do. Because, Nathan, you heard that, that just him sort of generally talk about the idea of like, I feel like I am, I want to be, I don't know that I'm paraphrasing because I can't, I don't have the right words right in front of me, but like, I'm trying to get in the heads of offensive coordinators mm-hmm. and that I want them, I want to show them something and then have them have no idea what we're going to do with that look. So if you have that stand up rush and Leo guy who's floating and okay, here he is now he's lined up between, between the center and the guard on this snap. Well, what's he going to do? Well, he might rush right behind the defensive tackle or he might back off and go into coverage, or he might delay and then come through, you know, come around the edge or whatever. I, I think Nathan, that's, that's where a lot of the confusion is going to come from. And and that's what everybody tries to do. But Jim Dole stated that pretty clearly of like, I'm trying to mess with people. And a year ago, when the season started, one of the main things with the Ohio State defense was it's too static. It's not confusing anybody. And this guy's all about confusing people.
1: Yeah, and he brought up the whole like, hey, I've put in my 10,000 hours. And you can tell that there is a, he doesn't seem to me like a cocky guy, but a guy who has some, it's not even like. I don't know if confidence is the right word. It's just clarity. I feel like he's been doing this so long that he feels like I know what I want a football field to look like to really uh, mess with other guys, to really cause problems for the guy that I'm going up against, the offensive coordinator I'm going up against, the quarterback I'm going up against. And it's going to be really fun, I think, to watch what happens here in these games. leading into August and really once the season gets started and how they try to do that. I definitely got the vibe from day. Uh, We haven't really talked that much about what day was saying about all the decisions that he had to make and how he went about them in this past, you know, month or so. And he said something along the lines today of just, I I want, I want to have a system and people buy into that system or something along those lines. And it made me wonder if like everything that we were who were observing that defense last year talking about like, well, they need to be less predictable. They need to be less static. They need to do this. And I think they tried to do those things, but it wasn't set up to maybe very effectively do those things. That wasn't what that defense was built to do. And when they tried to adjust on the fly, it it wasn't going to work quite as well. So that's what I think Jim Knowles is here to put together this, skeleton this this tree trunk that then everything more easily can be manipulated off of by the way it's the x's and uh it's the gap down backer podcast there's like a 45 minute podcast of jim knowles and it's all just I, almost all of it is just x's and O stuff him talking about why he does things and how he does things and it, it's a it's a pretty interesting listen
2: so this, this is not something that was said today, but it is one of the things that uh, to me, if you were looking for sort of a defining identity of Ryan Day's tenure here, I I don't, he said it early on here. Um, and it always stuck with me and it was sort of about the offensive side of the ball, but I think it applies to this Jim Knowles situation. Talking especially about coming from the NFL, Jim Knowles didn't come from the NFL, but he's doing a lot of stuff. It's complicated for the coaches simple for the players, that you want a multifaceted scheme that people cannot decipher, but you want clarity in the responsibilities for the players, each of the 11 players on the field, and you want to teach them clearly so that there's no doubt about, here's what you may have to do on this play. You might have to do this, you might have to do this, or you might have to do this but we'll worry about like all the way all these different things are fitting together. And I think Ryan day, that's super important about how he wants to run offense. And when we talk about what Jim Knowles is doing here, it feels like it's that, that it's like, once they figure out who the Leo's going to be, whether it's Jack Sawyer or Zach Harrison or Cade Stover, they're going to drill that guy. And they're going to say, here's all the different things. And that guy's going to know his job. But the end result is, it's going to look crazy to us and it's going to look crazy to the other quarterback and it's going to look crazy to the other offensive coordinator um and it goes to the bigger issue here with Jim Knowles there, there's two separate things here I want to talk about but let's talk about the Jim Knowles part of it first and Stephen the idea how often on Monday Jim Knowles was called the head coach of the defense I'm te- he's not even the, he's not the defensive coordinator He's not the DC. He's the H O. Wait, head? He's the H C O T D. Maybe we can leave out the O T. You can the leave H-C-D. out the T
0: with acronyms.
2: Of. Can we, do you to do, do the O, though, for the of? Should I do the of?
0: I the think H C D.
2: The H C D or the H yeah. COD. The H COD. Head coach of the defense. He's the H COD. Mm, somebody, COD is like the big fish and chips fish, right? When I was getting my hair cut the other day, the person who was cutting my hair was like, do you like fish and chips? The restaurant around the corner, they don't just give you fish and chips. They give you the whole, like a whole cod, just breaded. And I was like, does that sound good to people? I know some people love fish and chips. I like fish and chips if they're breaded, not battered. Most are battered. I like them more breaded. Battering always makes a little nervous because it can get slimy. If you don't cook it long enough, you have the thing underneath and then the coating. I'm not huge into the battering, more into the breading. So I don't want to call someone an H-cod because I don't want to think about a big breaded cod.
0: That was a skill, what you just did. Like, that was an That's elite skill. five-star skill. Like, we, a- we're we supposed to be talking about Jim Knowles being the head coach of the defense, and somehow you went from that to getting a haircut to talking about fish and chips and cod. That's a skill, ladies and gentlemen. Very few people have that skill. I don't know if it's a – it's probably a worthless skill. Worthless. But it is a skill. Worthless. continue. See, now I'm
2: back on track, baby. I took four days off. Now I'm back.
0: So, At
1: least once a month, I feel like I had either fell asleep or just had an episode in the middle of a pod and woke up in in the middle of a different pod. Or yeah. like 20 minutes later. Well, sometimes we have connection
2: issues. And it's like, did I miss? Did I blip out for 81 seconds? What happened? What was Doug? So anyway. Head coach of the defense, Stephen. Steven, That is different than defensive coordinator and Ryan day said it a bunch of times. That's what he wanted. That's clearly what they have in Jim Knowles. We're not surprised by any of this. You're paying the guy $1.9 million a year. He's been a defensive coordinator for a long time. He had one of the best defenses in the nation last year at Oklahoma state and everybody wanted him. But Steven, I was still struck by it on Monday. I was struck by how much that was emphasized. And I think I don't know what the right word is, but it, re- it confirms what I thought I had been thinking that I think Jim Knowles is potentially the most powerful, influential, has the greatest responsibility of any assistant coach that I have seen at Ohio State since I got here in 2005. Because I have never heard a head coach at Ohio State talk about the guy running the other side of the ball to this extent. And what do we think that means, Steven, is it a big deal or is it just a different way describing the guy who runs the defense?
0: It's an intriguing place for a head coach to be, even if the head coach is going into what is now year four of him ever being a head coach, which is part of how we got here. Um, how we got to a point where Ohio state's basically running the real life version of remember the Titans where day is Herman Boone and Jim Knowles is Bill Yost. And it's just like, worry about your side of the ball. And don't come over here. Um, But I think it's necessary for where Ryan day is in his development as a head coach, where he's still very much just an offensive mind who is, you know, slowly, slowly, Making his way towards CEO status, and it might work slower than we're used to with head coaches in general because he is so young. He's still in a place where, if the de- let's just say against Notre Dame, the defense gives up 35 points and the offense scores 55, he's still going to be in a place where he's like, "Well, the offense did its part; the defense didn't do his their job. It's on Knowles. Go ask him those questions." Um, I don't know if it's good or bad yet. Let's see how this all works out first. But I do think it's a necessary place for ohio state to be when you've got a head coach who's this you know still kind of wet behind the ears at the job so we had texters
2: 614-350-3315 two-week free trial 399 a month after that asking this off season about like does ryan day have too much on his plate and i thought ryan day last year did um when you are the head coach you're the offensive play caller. You're the pseudo quarterbacks coach. And then you also are having problems on the defensive side of the ball, and you have to be more involved with that. And then you also throw in COVID, the transfer portal, NIL, all this stuff, Head, involved in recruiting, all those things. It, it is a lot. And I thought he got stretched last year. And, and I think he would agree with that. And so then, well, how do you shrink your responsibilities a little bit? And I thought that could have gone one of two ways. And I and I asked Ryan Day sort of a series of questions Monday in the news conference trying to get at this because we had speculated about what do the promotions of Brian Hartline and Tony Alford, the passing game coordinator, and running game coordinator, mean? Is that Ryan Day taking some stuff off his plate? And when I asked that, Nathan, it was like, no. It was like, we need other programs want to steal our good coaches, so we're going to give them a title bump and we're going to give them a pay raise probably. But it Ryan Day did not say, and then as a result, I'm going to let them be much, much, much more involved in the play calling. That was not the deal. It was the decision, and I think this is Ryan Day, but I also just think it's what sort of like Ohio State thinks is the best for the football program. I don't think Ryan Day is backing off on offense at all. I think he's going to coach the quarterbacks just as hard. I think he's going to be as involved in the play calling just as much, but the change was, I'm not going to think about defense, like, at all. And that's not that different. Jim Tressel didn't think about defense all that much. Urban Meyer didn't think about defense all that much. But this is really stark, and that was the choice, Nathan. Right? And I don't know that even Ryan Day just made that decision himself. I think it's like you, everybody involved, you holistically evaluate the program, and the decision is – Lean into Ryan Day's offensive acumen. That's the reason he got this job. It's an offensive world. Everybody wants offensive head coaches. Ohio State has one. Why wouldn't you take advantage of that? And hire a head coach of the defense. So I do think it's not that his plate got smaller. It's that it's not as full. Right? This it's not it's not the Thanksgiving buffet where it's pouring off the sides. Smaller portions for Ryan Day. But it's it's just hand over half the ball. Nathan is that is that the fair read on this? And if so, was it the right decision? If Ryan Day was going to take something off his plate, hiring a head coach of the defense was
1: that the way to go? Well, let's not forget the problems and that the defense ran into, I mean, he he he's talking about the defense in a different way. Two years ago, when we when when they were hiring, when Jeff Haley leaves and they're hiring, Kerry Combs to come in and we're asking like, is it, you know, what are you going to, what kind of, what's this defense going to look like? And he'd be like, Hey, no, this is my defense. And I think he literally said that sentence. Like this is, I'm, you know, I picked this defense. This is the defense I want. So to some extent he was putting that on himself. It wasn't that it was um, something that he then had to come take on later in emergency. Like he was involving himself in the defense to that extent. So I think that is maybe where there's been maybe the biggest change is that he and i think it is the right move i think if you are going to be this involved in the minute machinations of the offense and the game plan each week and calling the plays on saturdays then you have to push that off on someone else you ultimately have accountability for who you hire to do that and the players that you bring in and all that stuff ultimately you're still the head coach and you know the buck stops there but to to um delegate that responsibility to him, I think is the right answer. And you can draw a through line from the press conference that we had last year after the Oregon game where Ryan day was sort of um, beside himself about the fact that he was having to spend more time with the defense to the interview we had today with Jim Knowles, where he said, um, I, I was brought in, you know, he was talking about accountability That was a big word that he mentioned a couple times. He was talking about, I'm here to, to basically, I'm here to put together a defense that Ryan Day doesn't have to worry about. Uh, Those, I mean, you could tell that that was part of the interview process. I think that that's been something that's been on Ryan Day's mind that he had to just get that stuff out of, he had to become untangled from that on a day-to-day basis. And I think it is the right call. If you're going to be that involved with the offense to that extent, if you're not going to delegate any of the offensive stuff, you have to delegate. All of the defensive stuff.
0: I can only imagine Ryan Day and, and Jim Knowles on a Zoom call, and Day just goes, "I don't want the media asking me defensive questions anymore." So make that happen as well, soon as possible. But and I know that's a bit hyperbolic, but it's just interesting. But I do think part of the back off from of that, and he just—I'm only saying this because he brought them up by name—is it seems like it took Ryan Day two years to realize he didn't have Chase Young and Jordan Fuller on this roster anymore. Because that was the example he was using for part of why he backed off of that. It's like, I mean, we off of obviously, his style of defense, of off of that style single because, high four man. Yeah. It's like one Jeff Halfley's not here who brought that style from from the San Francisco 49ers who have the four down front cover three single high safety. That's basically that was basically a Jimmy Garoppolo mess up away from getting the two Super Bowls in the last three years. And so, yes, it's you want that when you have Jordan Fuller as your free safety. It's easy to just be simple and you know, stagnant defensively when you've got Chase Young in the backfield every single time. And you're probably thinking, okay, you're going to lose those guys, but the defensive line is still going to be really good, and you're just going to find the next Jordan Fuller. They never found the next Jordan Fuller, and something that we, everybody in the world seemed to realize except Ryan Day was that Chase Young is a one-of-one, one-of-a-kind defensive end, you're not going to have that every single year, even if there was a run of those coming along with Bosa Bosa and Chase Young. And so when you realize that and go – we don't have the same type of talent to run that same type of defense. It's a little easier to back off this idea that we have to be single high safety. And the only thing that has to stay is the four man front.
2: When well, we had Deontay Lee on this podcast a couple of years ago, before Deontay Lee shot into the stratosphere of X and O breakdown. He's one of the best guys in the country right now, working at PFF and doing podcasts. And, and we, I had him on and we talked about single high safety how rare that was at Ohio state and how it was much more common to actually have three safeties as opposed to one. And now that's where Ohio state is like Ohio state has caught up to the, not even like the two safety world. You jump to the three safety world that this is what you're doing. And they are letting go of that. But I'll, I'll admit Steven when we were having like the Leo discussion, there's a part of me that's like, well, what if you have chase young and all of a sudden you're like moving chase young to middle linebacker and you're moving him around and you're not letting chase young be chase young because I'm still assuming there's a chase young. And it's like, well, what if you don't have Chase Young? All right. What if you just, in quotation marks, have a good player who now you are maybe going to free up even more because the offensive line and the blocking calls and the quarterback aren't sure where that guy's coming from. So if you don't have Chase Young, listen, Oklahoma State didn't have Chase Young. They led the nation in sacks. When Ohio State has Chase Young, they are capable of leading the nation of sacks when they don't have chase young they're not going to lead the nation of sacks this is a scheme and a plan that's going to get you to that point point. and so even for me it's like i have to i think everybody has to let go right and then you know what when chase young has a kid and the kid comes to ohio state or when little bosa the third shows up or whatever i don't know and if Jim Knowles is still here, he'll find a way to make sure that guy gets to get to the, has a
0: chance to get to the quarterback, right? That, we'll that's figure the key that there. out when it happens. That's the key there. It's it's easier to plan for not having a generational talent than like not than not having a plan for when you don't have one. It's yeah. it's if you let's just say JT or Jack goes crazy this year, right? And it it's very clear all spring and all fall camp that oh that guy's going to have 10 plus sacks this season. OK, well, then you'll just simplify some things up front and just say, OK, never mind, Jack. You don't have to stand up anymore. Put your hand in the dirt and go run after the quarterback. It's all, You can always do that. But that shouldn't be the expectation every single year that you're going to have the once in a generation defensive lineman. You have to plan as if you're at uncle You have to plan as if you just got a really quality player who is going to get sacks every so often, but he's not going to be the game records, which is fine. But that's yeah. that's it's irresponsible to just go at it like oh we're gonna have the best defensive player in the country every single year.
2: So I do think that's very interesting and that is a an, an important way to look at it. And again, it's Jim Knowles' scheme. That Jim Knowles is going to run what Jim Knowles wants to run, and I. But I think Nathan, it's beyond the scheme; it's everything. And if they had a flow chart. I don't know if you can, can we do a freedom of information request for Ohio State's flowchart? In the past, I would have guessed that, I mean, how would you have done it? Here's what the point I'm trying to make. If before there was a flowchart where all 10 assistants went to Ryan Day in some way, I would say this flow chart, all the defensive assistants are under Jim Knowles and they all go to Jim Knowles and then Jim Knowles goes to Ryan Day because Ryan Day was talking about the Jim Knowles how to say in the hirings of Tim Walton and Perry Eliano. We've seen every GA quality control, anybody who's going to have a remote in their hand or a chair in an office is either coming from Oklahoma State or worked with Jim Knowles at Duke. He is like, Bringing all his people, which actually is like a little odd to me because that is not how it's always worked at Ohio State. It's like if you're an assistant and you get hired here, even a head coach, they didn't always just bring all their guys as much. Like Urban brought a lot of his guys, but he was Urban Meyer, right? He brought Brian Boltolini and Mark Pantoni and Mickey Maradi and Ryan Stamper, and you get that. But Jim Knowles, Nathan, is sort of bringing his guys almost like a head coach was bringing his guys. It's like, Hey, Jim Knowles, what do you need to come here? It's like, I need eight GA spots, right. Or whatever, which uh, there's just a lot of things I think worth noting that to me, Steven, I know you're kind of joking about I don't, Ryan Day doesn't want to have to have media questions about the defense, but I think like if a player has an issue with the defense and hey, I really need to take it to the top, it's like, You're taking it to Jim Knowles. You're not taking it to Ryan Day. If a parent has a problem with something, it's Jim Knowles. Like it's not Ryan Day's deal. Like Nathan, I think that's real. And it's not about just like handling complaints or taking questions, but it's about who's responsible and who's in charge. And Ryan Day is in charge of Jim Knowles, but Jim Knowles is in charge of the defense. And I just think that was pounded home again and again. And it's different, and I think it is a meaningful difference for
0: Ryan Day.
1: Yeah, it doesn't surprise me that he, Knowles, was involved in the hiring process for Eliano and Walton, obviously. But I tried to ask Day a question. I thought I would get something a little bit more insightful out of it about, hey, has it been just the, the prevalence of the safety or the complication of having different players who play safety? Is that why you want... You know, two separate coaches back there, and his. It was a very brief answer, really. It was just like, well, that's what Jim wanted. So it, it sounds yes, like he. But I yeah, thought I mean, that
2: was as telling as any answer we got, right. even though it was brief. Nathan, right. it told you everything you need to know.
1: Right. Exactly. That's it, kind of what I'm getting at. That he, it, 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 just a lot of things that he said today showed you how far he's come in two years, as far as just is again, seeding that control. And, and putting it on someone else and responsibility, whatever word you want to use to to describe it. The fact that, that Knowles would have the final say in the actual makeup of the staff, which makes you wonder, like, how far did the conversations go as far as people who could have stayed or, or whatever? So um, I this is going to be an interesting dynamic because it's not one that yeah, – It is just so recent. Like, again, we're talking about two years ago where Ryan Day still had that level of control and maybe just felt like he needed that level of control. We talked about at the time, right, that maybe that there was some insecurity is not the right word, but just you feel like as the head coach, you're supposed to be putting your stamp on every part of the program. And now uh, maybe him seeing that, um, you know, you're Ohio State for a reason. You can go get a, a brain of this caliber and let them run the show. And um, I think it's going to make Ohio State better in the long run because the the disconnect between what Ryan Day had in his brain between the 2019 and 2020 seasons and the football that was played in 2020 and 2021 on the defensive side of the ball was clear.
2: And I do think giving up control is a, is a sign of maturity. Yes, that that it's like I don't have to micromanage everything. I can say maybe this isn't what I would pick, but you know what? This guy's an expert at it. I picked him. Ryan Day did thank Gene Smith and President Johnson and the Ohio State Board of Trustees for letting Ohio State pony up 1.9 million dollars a year to go get Jim Knowles. I mean, all of this is is tied in together. And so I think that head coach of the defense Ryan Day Handing over that control to Jim Knowles, I think, is a a super important thing that was clarified a lot on Monday. The second part of that, and and I actually am slightly confused by some of this, but Ryan Day was sort of asked, like, you know, these tough decisions you have to make when you let coaches go. And again, it's three new defensive coaches, one new offensive coach. And did you think about anything else? And he sort of said, you know, he sort of admitted like, yeah, I mean, I did give a little thought to sort of like tweaking, you know, more than overhauling, but he sort of was like, I need, like we need a clean slate and they had a clean slate when he got here, Stephen. that he like, um, he and Harry when when Ryan day took over, he hired four new defensive assistants. Because he hired out Washington, Greg Madison, Matt Barnes, and Jeff Halfley. And the only holdover was Larry Johnson. And then Halfley leaves after a year and they replace him with Kerry Combs. And away we go. But I don't I don't know if he considered that. Like Madison was sort of like, even though he wasn't here under Urban Myers, kind of like an urban guy. Even bringing Kerry Combs back was a, a kind of a callback to the past a little bit that Ryan Day had known him. Um, it feels like he's viewing this kind of as like almost like a defensive redo. Um, even though he hired four new defensive coaches in 2019, Did, the idea of the clean sta- slate, Steven, was that the right thing that you didn't, you didn't try to keep Al Washington. You didn't try to squeeze Kerry Combs in here that Larry Johnson is an institution, but everybody else is new. Does that, help the process when you're sort of handing over a side of the ball to Jim Knowles or could Ryan day have realistically tried more of a tweak and less of an overhaul?
0: No, this needed to be an overall. I think you did the tweak last year because you had the excuse of you only played eight games. So let's see what happens when you get a normal schedule and a normal spring and all that stuff. And it, it it's going to get better. And then it didn't get better. You can't afford to, you can't afford to to let that go another year at this point this you you lost to michigan that can't go another year after that there needs to be a level of, of a reset button I, I think the initial hires he made when he revamped the defensive coaching staff one they obviously had to happen that 2018 defense was awful two i think he hired if you really look at it everybody he hired he knew from his you know his tenure as a head as an assistant coach at all these different spots and so it was very much more of a I want to hire guys who I know have my back just in case this doesn't go that well to begin with. And even you back in 2019, in the big 10 media days, you're kind of asking questions about how, Hey, urban Meyer was just kind of, he lost seven games. Do we need to like change our expectations here and allow this to get built back up? And he was kind of, in a way agreeing with you and then justin field showed up and then they, they were you know an interception away from that so championship and all that went out the window he doesn't have to make the hires of i want to know who has my back anymore he's a pretty good as head coach at this point and he's proven himself so go get the best guy for the job and you can't do that when you still want to tweak and keep guys around from that initial hires that you made no he did exactly what he needed to do here and the Take the same approach. Just don't – like just go hire the guys you know. You keep the institution that is Larry Johnson as long as he wants to be here. And then everybody else, you go find the best man for the job. And that's what he did because he didn't – other than Justin Fry as an offensive line coach, he didn't have relationships with any of these other guys.
2: Clean sweep the way to go, Nathan. I mean like I I did think Ryan Day was was kind of interesting sort of talking about like the process that he kind of went through in, in making the decision about all this stuff.
1: Probably, especially because you're bringing in, you're changing that 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 administrative dynamic that we're talking about with Jim Knowles. I think you almost need to that if you're going to put someone else, if you're going to rearrange that dynamic, then I would say that the people below him, you probably need to bring them in with a different understanding of, of what that looks like, a different uh, uh different a new a fresh perspective on that flowchart. I think that could be a different a difficult adjustment for people. And it's not like I mean you know, for, for, especially for I guess for for Al Washington for Kerry Combs, it, it worked out okay too. They got they they were already talking about you know decent jobs they could go to, but obviously not not the same level as Ohio State. But I, I think it I I it, you you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you regret not doing it later. I think that you see where the problems could be there on the horizon, and if you if you try to force that and the clean slate is probably the better way to go.
2: I was looking though, I I remember like looking this up um, when Brent Venables took over at Clemson and he was not as established as Jim Knowles is now that Brent Venables was coming from Oklahoma uh, and was like a rising young guy, but Jim Knowles is a super established defensive coordinator. Like Clemson hired Brent Venables to run the defense and kept like all the other defensive coaches from the previous year. Like Brent Venables didn't get to come in and sort of like hire his own staff and make a clean sweep, right? That, um, this is, it's, it doesn't always have to go this way, but, um, I do think Steven an important point you made that it's like, they tried the tweak before that he didn't bail on Kerry Combs after one year, he gave it a second year and it was like, that's, that's not it. And so it's a complete fresh start. And here we are. And I, I did think it was interesting. He was talking about looking for Jim Knowles. He said he talked to about seven candidates, I think was the number he used for defensive coordinator and from what I understand, all of them had defensive coordinator experience. And that was another thing here that even Jeff Halfley had not been a defensive coordinator full running a defense, like before he got here and that worked. And then Kerry Combs had never done it and then it didn't work out as well. And it was like, there was just not going to be like, Nathan, he's not, there's no, they're not leaving a crack here. Like they're sealing up the doorway, right? Like this is, they hired the most experienced guy, gave him complete control, gave him practically $2 million a year. But they were going to look at at guys who were doing it now. And I, lo- I love the hires. I-, I give a lot of credit. Again, like Jim Harbaugh, even though Mike McDonald just left, came for one year to Michigan, like reset the defense for Michigan, helped them make the playoff, then left to go back to work for John Harbaugh and be the new defensive coordinator at the Baltimore Ravens. That's a, that's a hire by Jim Harbaugh where there's no guarantee there. It's a home run. Like you get a little more credit when it's out of the blue and everybody, sometimes you want to get, make the hire where you get all the credit for it. There's not a ton of credit for Jim Knowles. You threw money at the most obvious guy, but like, there's like, they just weren't messing around, Nathan. And, and I think you have to sort of appreciate that, that we're, we're only talking to people currently doing the same job very well at other good college programs, that's the threshold. That were those were the qualifications to be Ohio State's defensive coordinator. Be doing that job currently at a program not quite as good as Ohio State, and they wound up with a guy as Jim Knowles said, who they, Oklahoma State like practically made the playoff. So Oklahoma State was as good as Ohio State this year. But I thought that was that's a pretty clear thing. I think that was all part of this too.
1: Yeah, I mean, as much as Jim Knowles wants to insist, and I understand where he's coming from, that Ohio State's not far away and that they're, you're not having to reinvent the wheel here to make this a good defense, when you're making a decision that is um, is a correction, then, and I, I feel it, and it, doesn't this feel like Ohio State needed to make a correction to its defense in a different way than Michigan had to make a correction to its defense a year ago? Uh, like, I, feel like were, uh, I feel like there were I'm not saying that Michigan didn't have to correct its defense, but I feel like there were a lot of things going on at Michigan. I don't think everything was falling on the defense the way it is at Ohio State, where people look well, at Tom, it and say
0: they, had a, they made a fundamental change in approach I think yeah, J- with Ohio State, Jim Knowles just seems like what Ryan Day wants to do defensively What Ohio State was trying to do defensively last year Jim Knowles is just better at it clearly than what Kerry Combs was if that makes sense.
2: I mean, like, it's not like
0: they're going from, we're only playing man. And now we're only going to play zone the way that Michigan did. I mean, Michigan hired whatever it was
2: six or seven new assistants instead of right, four. Yeah. But the headline of that was like Don Brown's defense is getting set on fire by Ryan day. They need to get rid of yeah. it and get somebody new. So I do th- actually think there are some similarities that the headline, there were a lot of moves, but the headline move was a complete overhaul of the defense. So, but Ohio state wasn't going to take a risk on an up and comer. They were going to, they were going to go get an established right. guy.
1: My point being um, that the that, that Michigan wasn't just a better defense away from the playoff. I don't think people looked at them that way. And that is how people look at Ohio state that a better defense, yeah, Jim, is, the defense is what kept them out of the playoff. It's what kept them from being more competitive when they were in the national championship with Alabama. And I did feel like we have like the latest slight twist
2: in the Ryan day view of college football and particularly at Ohio state that last year it was all about sort of like the looming, but hypothetical loss that can ruin your season. Right. And we talked about that a lot before last year that Ryan day is like, it's different for the NFL. One loss can ruin your season. Right. And then it happened. And now he's at, you can't lose. Like that was said on Monday. was like, and here at Ohio State, where you can't lose a game, and he didn't say it like that, but I'm taking it like that, like it's where, like... <laughs> like where you people won't let us lose a game. Where it's like, hey, if I day had a question before the loss was looming, now he's experienced two regular season losses, and is like, yep, that's it. You're not. I think he even said where you're not allowed to lose. Didn't he say you're not yeah. allowed to lose? And that has also been
0: communicated to Jim Knowles. Like that's the deal here. Oh, to Jim Knowles. So all these assistants. It very much felt like all of these guys were like, "Listen," because I think I was going back and listening to the audio. At one point, Jim Knowles is talking about the fact of what they built at Oklahoma State, and then he makes it a point to go, "But that took four years to do." I completely understand that I don't have four years to build something up here. I will, like he does it. He has nine months to figure this thing out. He didn't have four years, and the other assistant coaches were doing that as well. It is interesting because technically the one loss has still not cost Ohio state a season under Ryan day. It's because you lost again. They were in the playoff. If they don't lose to Michigan with the one loss and they're probably, I don't, there's maybe a chance that they beat Alabama or Georgia. We'll see. It's a coin flip, but the point of the bat the one loss season didn't kill you. It's you lost early and then you lost to your rival. And then he's, he's, but he's come to this urban Meyer level extreme. So, you know, you're not allowed to lose. Yeah. Um,
2: So, yes, that message has been communicated. But I also think part of it here, Jim Knowles is 56, Nathan. And I asked, again, continuing my long line of asking questions for stories I never write. I asked a decent number of questions when Kerry Combs was hired about, could Kerry Combs be Ohio State's Brent Venables? Could this be the guy? Because Kerry had been here, had gone to the NFL. You thought maybe this is a guy. He loves Ohio State. He'd settle in here and, and he could ride with Ryan Day for a while, then clearly it didn't work. But the issue there was you were hiring a guy who'd never done it before. Jim Knowles was 56. Other guys they could have looked at, there's a lot of guys you could have looked at who were in their 40s who are really good defensive coordinators. And I always make the Chris Ash comparison that Chris Ash was a really good defensive coordinator at Wisconsin, then at Arkansas. He came to Ohio State, and he wanted to be a head coach very clearly, as quickly as he could. And he went and did that. Not that Ryan Day wouldn't have hired that guy because you can't be afraid of hiring talented coaches who might leave. But I still think the Jeff Halfley thing lingers with him a little bit, Nathan. And I think in his heart of hearts, Jim Knowles, having been a head coach at Cornell before, he's getting two million bucks a year. I was talking, I don't know if I said this on the podcast or I was talking to somebody, the national championship game who knows Jim Knowles a little bit. And they were like, Jim Knowles said like, just give me a, a cigar bar and a sushi restaurant and I'm good. Like I don't need anything else. Like this guy is just, he's like a little low maintenance. He likes what he likes. He's going to get his money and he's going to drop defenses and he's good to go. I don't want to underestimate somebody and I'm practically 56 and I still have things I'd like to do with my life. So I don't want to act like, well, when you're 56 and you get a new job, you're like, well, I guess I'll just be here until I die. That's not what I'm saying. But he's not an up and comer, Nathan, right? He's established. And I think Ryan Day's dream is that, like, Ryan Day never hires a defensive coordinator again at Ohio State. That this is his Brent Venables. That this is 10 years of this guy. This is his Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart did it for eight years with Nick Saban. And not even that Jim Knowles is waiting for the perfect opportunity like Kirby Smart and Brent Venables were. But, like, he's not waiting for any opportunity. Because, like, he's waiting for this opportunity. Because Jim Knowles was talking about like his, when their defense was so good at Oklahoma State, he said his Oklahoma State players this year were saying, oh man, coach, they're going to be coming for you. Teams are going to be coming after you. And he'd like joke about it. And he said uh, he was very upfront with his players. But then he said like, I kind of felt like this was my time. Like this is his jump. And you know what? If they're great, he'll get offers. He could offer to be a head coach two years from now at 58. But I think maybe this sticks. And I think for all my assistant coach stuff, I don't know, Nathan. I don't think it's impossible that this guy's a defensive coordinator at Ohio State for the next decade.
1: Yeah. And the way that everything we've read and we've talked about that before on the pod about just sort of that, that mad scientist kind of um, identity that he has that reputation where, you know, he goes and locks himself in a room or for whatever. I'm not saying that if he were the head coach, I'm sure when he was a head coach at Cornell, he didn't approach his day-to-day life that way. But it seems like if that's kind of what you default to, if that's maybe what you're most comfortable in even as a coordinator position coach whatever, I don't know that that's like the best personality to become a head coach and lead a program if if that's kind of maybe your your comfort zone. So, I I think you're right. This seems like a guy who sort of cherishes the idea of being a being the brain that makes a defense great. Just the way he sort of just talks about what they accomplished at, at Oklahoma State and the sort of how gratifying that was for him. So I I think you're right. I think this could be a, a long-term hire. It could be one of those hires that um, th- whether it's long-term or not. I mean, does, is he the kind of guy who's still here when Ryan Day is having to make his next big decision about a, a potential big change?
2: And listen, Ohio State hires big-time assistants all the time, but. You know, when, when when Urban Meyer hired Tom Herman and then hired Chris Ash a couple of years later, I never thought, well, those guys are going to be here for 10 years. But you know what? When he hired Larry Johnson, I thought that guy might be here for 10 years. And I think we've talked about that on the pod before. That might be a comparison here, that Larry Johnson had been around and seen a lot of things and maybe had reached a point in his career where being excellent at what he did was enough and he wasn't looking for the next thing. And I think they might have that with Jim Knowles. And you know what? If they ask him, they say, Jim, Jim. Would you like to be a head coach? Jim Knowles could say, "You know what? I already am. I'm the H Cod at Ohio State." We'll be back. Talk about some other assistants next on Buckeye Talk. Doug, Nathan, Stephen. So shorthand, right? I mean, Stephen. I know you and I were at Perry Eliano. Nathan, you and I. I mean, I think we all got to talk to Perry Eliano a little bit off to the side. Coming from Cincinnati, the corners coach there. Coming here to be the safeties coach. Uh, seems like an energy guy, right? And and if someone said, some, one of the texters, I responded real quickly before the podcast started, like, who could you compare some of these hires to? I said, I can't compare Jim Knowles to anybody because I, I all the things I said on this podcast, I think he's as influential and as any assistant hire I've ever seen. But I do think the comparison of like Kerry Combs, when he was hired as Ohio State from Cincinnati, and Perry Eliano being hired at Ohio State from Cincinnati there's also something about their personality Stephen that like I think that like that's who he reminds me of he is a secondary coach he is a high energy super personable guy that in 30 seconds you feel like man I like this guy and if that's what this is if Perry Eliano and by the way can he develop corners he just he just freaking coached sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant for the last two years, if he can recruit and develop secondary players like Kerry Combs just did, and you need an energy guy, I always have Kerry Combs. I don't want 10 Kerry Combs on a staff. Nobody would.
0: You need one for each side of the ball and that's it. But,
2: but if you don't have one, I think you notice it. I think you miss it. So who's the energy guy for the defense. I I think it might be Perry Eliano, man.
0: Cincinnati and Ohio State just traded their Kerry Combs, and so Ohio State got the younger one. Um, yeah, I think he – the way I, we talked about him on the recruiting pod last week, he basically just confirmed all of that. The idea that he sees that – look what I – it's basically, look what I just did at Cincinnati with Kobe Bryant and Sauce Gardner. Ahmad Gardner, that's his actual name. Um, imagine what I could do with resources unlimited resources and as he kept saying the blocko on my chest because that was one of the things I asked him a bunch of recruiting questions and one of the answers he had was when he would go out on the recruiting trail for guys some of these highly rated guys they would all tell him time and time again I want to come play for you I just can't go to that school for obvious reasons you want to go to schools where you're going to be winning a national championship well he doesn't have that caveat anymore of players telling him I would love to come play for you. I just also want to go win a national championship because he's at the school that can do that. And him and Tim Walton have already hit the ground running from the recruiting trail. It's very simple. If Tim Walton and Perry Eliano are both recruiting you, you're pretty high priority for Ohio state, you know? So that's, that's how that is going to work from this point on. Now they're granted. They'll have people that they recruit on their own, but for the most part, the high priority guys get both of those guys and they've already been in touch and seen a lot of those people in person over this two week, not two week contact period. So now the next step is for Walton and Perry Eliano, like the entire defensive back everybody in the defensive back room is coming back other than Seven Banks at this point. And so how do you continue the development of Denzel Burke? Do we see Jalen Johnson and Jordan Hancock make that you know next jump as second year guys? And then with Ronnie Hickman, Josh Proctor getting healthy, Cameron Martinez and all those guys now that he's he's gonna get a chance to get his eyes on them for the first time this week. How do we see those guys evolve and develop as players now that they're no longer young guys? But from a recruiting standpoint, I'm even more sold that that's going to work.
2: Perry Eliano, good dude, Nathan?
1: Yeah, uh, I thought that was a really fun conversation. He has a a really uh, kind of infectious personality, but just a very – you can tell just a very fun-loving personality. You can see why he probably really connects with players. Um, a pretty humble personality but also someone who someone you just maybe doesn't take himself too seriously and I think that's always appealing in any person and there's definitely coaches you run into who you don't get that vibe from and I I, 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 I get that vibe from him that he's someone who, who, who doesn't look down on on people doesn't take him doesn't think too highly of himself um, but also someone who I think because um, he said a similar thing when, when we were kind of just chatting with him about um, that feeling that like, you know, you're connecting with guys the right way. And yet it's, you, you, it's not going to matter. You're especially even before he got to Cincinnati, right. When he was at, at even lower levels than that, where guys that you, there's no chance that those guys were ever, you know, going to come anywhere near your school. So I think he is eager to uh, not like he's just ch- sort of using Ohio state or that it's going to happen on its own, But that he gets to finally kind of take his personality, what he knows works when he's connecting with these guys and apply it with, as he's saying, like this, this new kind of um, identity that he gets to take out onto the trail. I think,
2: Stephen, you were asking about new assistants and and like sort of quickly like getting down to business with recruiting. And I, I don't remember the, the exact question, but Ryan Day's answer was something like, like the two things that matter are relationships and development. And like, when you think of Perry Eliano, it's like, well, the development, the proof's in the pudding with Gardner and Bryant and the relationships. It feels like it takes 30 seconds to figure out this guy
0: knows how to build relationships. That was like maybe the key with both of them is, the, the the and from the way recruits have talked, but then also just I mean looking at the resume. The resume is speaks for itself. One guy had a Hall of Famer and a Thorpe Award. The other guy spent 12 years in the NFL developing guys, including Jalen Ramsey. That's so these recruits. No, everyone is completely aware of wh- wh- who Perry Eliano and Tim Walton are. And now it's can you spend the next six months building a relationship that when we get to June and July we see these defensive back recruits start popping. So Tim Walton, though, very different from
2: Perry Eliano, I yes. thought. He's older than Perry Eliano. Uh, much more sort of like, I don't know what the, but like, more like a. More grounded. More, like, more grounded. I don't I don't want to say more professional because I don't want to imply that like Perry is not professional, but like Tim Walton is a little more about business, not as jokey necessarily. Um, again, has come from the NFL, but he's been in the NFL for like last 12 or 14 years or whatever it was we, we had we've gone through some of this stuff before so we sort of want to focus on like what we learned from talking to the guys today we know he'd been in college defensive coordinator at memphis defensive coordinator at miami um but i said were you interested in coming back to college or was it like this and he's like it's, it was this that like he's coming back to his alma mater to do this and that's a nice little perk nathan that like again it's we've we've you don't have to have alums on staff, but it's kind of a nice thing. But this is like a professional dude who's been getting it done at the highest level for more than a decade. And he like came home is how he kept talking about it. Like I had a chance to come home. He said in the past, he said he at least once has sort of had a conversation, you know, uh, with Ohio State. Hey, maybe he didn't say which coach it was or when it was, but, but this was the right time for him to sort of come do this thing that maybe it felt like he always sort of had at the back of his mind to coaches at his alma mater. And now he's doing it. But I, again, I different personality than Perry Aliano, but I almost like him as a duo, right? It's almost like Tim Walton's like the straight man to Perry Aliano joking around, but together it is, as you're saying, Stephen, especially the times when they're out there together, you can see how it can really work. But Tim Walton is just like, seems like, man, that guy seems like he's about business. And when Jalen Ramsey says he's one of the best coaches he ever had,
1: backs up how much he's about business. Yeah, I mean, Ryan Day even said something along the lines of, you know, um, when, you're, when you're reaching up into the NFL to get a guy to come back to college, like there is a little bit of a risk there potentially. Is risk the right word? I don't know. But it's it's it, you do wonder about some of the transitions that a guy has to make but that he didn't sound like he had many reservations about that with with Tim Walton, simply because, yes, he has the college background himself, but that he I think there's the confidence there that you can appeal to guys by saying, hey, here's who I've worked with at the next level. Here's how I made them better. The guys that you look up to, I've coached those guys and I can, you know, let's do the same thing here. So uh, I didn't actually get to talk to to Walton, um, so I didn't get that same, you know, get the contrast the vibe that much but they are i think a really intriguing duo simply because of those backgrounds whereas he has done more things but he has been at the nfl he has been a coordinator he has had different responsibilities and been challenged in a different way and and just does probably have his own personality and then you have perry Eliano, who has um you know really grinded to get to where he is and i think those two things in concert are potentially a a really intriguing thing for Ohio state because you don't know how you don't know who is going to respond to who, when it comes to recruiting and those personal relationships are, are so important. And if there's a, you know, maybe there's guys who are going to respond better to one than the other. And you've got sort of both sides covered now with some of these important guys you're going to be going after.
0: I also think Walton being an alum, who's a little bit older, he might stick around for a little bit while Eliano might be out the door in two years, just because he is still climbing and still very young in this. And that's just how this goes. So it does give you that, as we talked about a lot with this Ohio state coaching staff, you've got the old guy and you've got the young guy, but in this situation, the old guy might just stick around for a little bit longer because if he leaves, he's been a defensive coordinator at the defensive level at this point, it doesn't seem like he's on track to be a head coach anywhere. So if he leaves, he's probably just going to go back to the NFL and that's because things didn't work out here. So it does give you a little bit of insurance of even if Eliano in two years, you know, I don't know, somebody wants to hire them as their defensive coordinator, then you still got one half of a pretty good duo here of, of, of what we think might end up being a pretty good duo back there. It felt like when Ryan day
2: hired the defensive staff in 2019, he was very interested in that from the coordinator perspective and pairing Greg Madison and Jeff Hafley, older guy, younger guy. And it feels like this is a version of that just in that secondary group, older guy, younger guy, you can use them. You know, these are my strengths. These are my strengths. We'll work together and we'll get this done. Uh, Justin Fry, the offensive side of the ball, the only new offensive hire, taken over as the offensive line coach for Greg Stoudrawa. I did not talk to him. I decided well, – everyone made note again about how Jim Knowles does look a decent amount like Jerry Emig, the SID uh, at Ohio State. I noted that I thought Justin Fry looks like the older brother of Mike Basford, who's the assistant SID for football. Um, Justin Fry's like six inches on Basford, though, so I'm not going to mistake them for each other. But I didn't get to talk to him because we were too busy hobnobbing. Steven, uh, you were there a little bit for what Justin Fry was talking about. Uh, What's the vibe you got there?
0: He said a lot of the right things today, which is fine. He kind of worked the press conference um, by saying stuff like, I want our offensive line to be felt kind of use the example of you know my daughter is sitting up in you know the, the nosebleed seats and it's third and two and she even knows that we're going to run it to the right side and it doesn't matter everybody knows what we're doing and it doesn't matter because you're not going to be able to stop it because this offensive line is going to move people which is fine you say all the right things I think the most interesting thing with him is the the offensive line recruiting right now and the balance of you know going after the highly rated guys versus some of the de- developmental guys but then also you know I specifically asked when you are out on the recruiting trail, I guess, what are you looking for? Are you looking for guys who have versatility and you can kind of put them anywhere, which is what we've seen with guys like Ben Christian, um, on down the line, or do you want a guy where you look at him and you go, that's a tackle. I want him to come here and play tackle. That's a guard. I want him to go here and play tackle. And he, there's the obvious, like if he's 6'2, two, you're not putting him at tackle, but it does seem like there's, It's less of a focus on just like finding versatile guys, which is always good to have. But you also do want to just have the superstar guard or the superstar tackle. And so that's you say that today, but you also want to see that pay itself off over the next year. So,
2: again, I I, I want to say this the right way. I don't want to like pigeonhole people because it's not fair. But again, we talked about this before. The staff, a staff is a whole thing staff is the 10 people working together. And I do believe you need that staff to fit in a variety of ways, experience, college in the NFL, geographic, um, you know, where you are, age, where you are in your career. And I do feel like a little bit, just as what you're saying, Stephen, and just even like stud was a great guy, right? But stud was Sort of what we're talking about with Jim Knowles and Larry Johnson, and like, hey, maybe maybe Tim Walton, right? Like they're a little older; they're at a point where they've kind of done what they are who they are, right? That they're probably not trying to get somewhere else from this job, if if, if I can paint with a broad brush. Um, and I'm gonna believe in this more because I keep referencing the fact that at an Ohio State practice in like the fall or the, the spring of 20 or the fall of 2017 or something. I looked at Joe burrow and thought he stood like Tom Brady. And I was afraid to like, say it out loud. Cause I didn't want to sound like a crazy person. And that was the beginning of Joe burrow. It was how he stood. I saw it first watching Justin Fry walk around. Justin Fry wants to get somewhere <laughs> and oh, yeah. that's great. And again, like maybe that's not what you wanted for defensive coordinator, but the difference of stud where he was, and that Justin Fry is like, I'm here, and I'm trying to set myself to be the head, uh, set myself up to be the head coach at Indiana when Tom Allen gets fired in two years. That is probably maybe especially from a recruiting standpoint, but just from an energy standpoint, I think the energy in that room is going to twist a little bit. And I'm not saying one is better or one is worse because we just spent half an hour talking about how Ohio State wanted to hire some guys who were going to stick around and provide some stability. But I like the idea maybe of like a climber in the O-line room that just is here to get it done.
0: He definitely gave off some head coaching vibes. One, because of how he was dressed. He was a little bit more formal than the rest of the, the group that we got today. But yeah, the, even we Nathan and I got a chance to introduce ourselves to him up close and personal right before, but obviously we didn't have that too long of a conversation because everybody's trying to do the same thing. But it does feel like while with Jim Knowles, Tim Walton, especially this is like a finishing spot, while with, Tim, with Perry Eliano, it's like, I've arrived, this feels like a stepping stone for where Justin Fry is trying to get into his, in his career. And he knows that he, if he comes in here and maybe it's a year, maybe it's two. If he comes over in here in the next two years and Ohio state's offensive line recruiting is off the charts. And then the play on the field is also, you know, they're one of the best offensive lines in the country and they're moving guys. Then yeah, he's there's probably a big 10 job out there waiting for him or at least like a coordinator job somewhere. But it's very clear that this is a, I know where I'm at. And if I play my cards right, th- things can go really well for me here. Yeah, I'm in the
1: process of like calling around and, and doing some some background interviews for something I want to write about Justin Fry. But his dad um, was named Kevin Fry and was his like high school football coach. So he's the son of a high school coach. And he actually passed away while uh, Justin Fry was at IU, I think, like his senior year, maybe um, had had cancer and passed away. So he's I mean, he's been a coach since before he was a coach. This has always been the direction he was headed. And uh, I think you're right, Stephen. I think this is a guy who will someday have a head coaching job.
2: And even like the difference, of like Perry Aliano was like at St- Stephen F. Austin or whatever it is. Yeah. like uh, Or Texas San Antonio. I, I don't want to be dismissive of that because I do get him confused sometimes. He was at Texas San Antonio as late as 2015 at Bowling Green and 16 and 17 at New Mexico in 18 and 19. Like Cincinnati was a big jump for Perry Aliato. You know, Justin Fry was at UCLA for like four years. He got hired at UCLA when he was in mid-30s. Like Justin Fry like thinks he's on the fast track and probably is. Probably being that he played big-time football at Indiana, was a really good player, certainly helped him. Son of a coach, probably doesn't hurt. But um, it was interesting just to watch the vibes of like the four new guys kind of all uh, fit together because the staff is a living, breathing thing. And Nathan, it is just – it is still slightly humorous to me, and we get it. It's just the way Ryan Day built the staff. But like when we talk about the defensive staff, like nobody talks about Parker Fleming. Parker Fleming is the special teams coach. His name was not said once today. They have five offensive assistants, they have four defensive assistants, and Parker Fleming coaches special teams, and that's it. And it was noteworthy the absence of his name on during the discussions on not that we said, you know, Tony Alford and Brian Hartline all that much either, but I don't know. No just- illusions.
1: Yeah, which is gratifying to those of us who, when we had to give a grade to or a score or whatever it was that we gave to the defensive staff, left off Parker Fleming because he's not a defensive coach. Nathan is just bringing all the receipts today. This is like, well,
2: obvious. I tried to say it on the podcast and Doug shouted me down.
0: Nothing makes less sense than this either.
2: Well, th- now, I, I it almost makes me want to look. Because, I mean, people did use that 10th assistant in a, in different ways. And the idea of like, I don't know if – I don't know what the secret – we aren't coaches on this podcast. I don't know secretly when it was like, hey, uh, you're the linebacker's coach, but you've also got punt coverage. And guys like, oh,
0: God, I hate
2: – you know, like just like make Parker do it. Everyone, like all the other yeah. nine assistants have a T-shirt to say make Parker do it. And yeah. you can focus on that because, again, special teams, he's not just over there coaching the long snapper
0: he's no 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 coming up with block how
2: to block punts how to return kicks how to return punts i mean it's it's all those special teams things
0: and you're learning special like certain skills that do kind of translate over to your actual actual position depending on what you play which is fine it just i don't know what it is it's just something inside of me feels like there's a better use for that job for that spot on the spot on the coaching staff and i might be wrong about that but it's just it feels like there there was a better way to maximize what's happening there I think the
1: thing that's weird is having an offensive coordinator who coaches the least important position and then doesn't actually call the plays.
0: That's weird I, as well.
1: I understand why Ohio State has that. This is a, we don't need to lengthen this podcast. But I think that's the thing that's maybe the weirdest and I think that when if and when Kevin Wilson decides he wants something more, I think they might use that position differently. That that and spot on to... the on the staff differently.
2: And, and I do think Kevin Wilson actually I think has has more influence coaching the offensive line than yes yeah uh, he, he recruits he recruits
0: that position as well like he and Justin Fry were both out to see Luke Montgomery last week and obviously Corey Dennis went with him to see his little brother so yeah it's he's kind of he he just he's a tweener as a as a positions coach but then also he you know helps Ryan Day call plays
2: so it's one of those things like you you get ten assistants and. Kevin Wilson is obviously eminently qualified. The guy's the head coach in the Big Ten, and if he didn't have sort of the off-field thing with whatever the player treatment stuff, he might still be. He didn't, he didn't lose his job as a Big Ten head coach because he didn't win enough no. games. So um, he's overqualified to be what he is, but he's to your point, Nathan, he's a little duplicative with what Ohio State has, and then Parker Fleming only coaches special teams. So it's, it's, sometimes it feels like they have 10 assistants, but if you took two away, they'd be okay with eight. And it's like, well, don't you want to spread it around a little bit? I mean, we're talking about all the stuff on Ryan Day's plate. And then, frankly, the quarterback's coach is also duplicative because Ryan Day is the quarterback's (laughs) coach. So they have – it's like a seven-man staff. Um, Honestly,
0: one day on this pod, I just want to have a 15-minute breakdown of what Corey Dennis would actually have to do to get Doug's stamp of approval. We don't have to do that today. That's a long answer that doesn't need to be discussed today. But I do think at some point – on on this pod, there needs to be a fifteen to twenty minute segment just dedicated to what does Corey Dennis have to do to get Doug to like him?
2: Be qualified for the job he got hired for originally. So if he's their quarterback's coach, talk about maybe Jim Knowles will be with Ryan Day forever. If Cory Dennis is the quarterback's coach, but if Cory Dennis is is the quarterback's coach ten years from now, I'll just say, see, he couldn't get another job. He was never qualified for the one he had what he has to do probably is leave. He has to go leave <laughs> and prove that he can is that go leave and go do your job <laughs> somewhere else where Ryan Day isn't like doing most of your job and prove that you're actually the dude. Fair. So um, anyway, all right, Nathan, Oh, Nathan, like minor, there was like a minor question about like some of the NIL stuff, but I feel like we can save that. Is there anything else that uh, was of, of the utmost importance or newsworthiness covered with the half hour of Ryan Day or the half hour with the, uh, any of the, for assistance that we have not gotten to yet.
1: Yeah. I'm trying like to think back the, uh, again. If, if, for those of you who, who don't get the text, uh, that's a good reason to get the text because 614-350-3315, I would have texted what else I thought was notable at the time. Um, but now I, I just can't remember. Um,
2: yeah, I, th- I think we're pretty good. Um, we're good. We'll come, we'll come back. Uh, we'll talk more football, all, all football the rest of this week. The plan uh, we think for Ohio State it's been mapped out pretty well is that we're going to talk to all of the early enrollees on Wednesday on Sunday. And the incoming transfers. Or most of them. And the incoming transfers. Uh, so uh, so like Tanner McAllister will be a really interesting guy to get a chance to talk to. So we'll talk, like that's like 13 players that we should be talking to on Wednesday. So that will be, I think, most of what the Thursday and Friday pods become. Plus we'll have a little bit of cleaning up um, just maybe from a national recruiting perspective, big 10 recruiting perspective, who were some of the late signee guys that mattered that actually might affect Ohio state. I don't, I don't know that there's all that many of them. Um, I certainly don't expect any prize, any surprises with the Buckeyes on signing day on Wednesday. So we'll come back. We'll talk a little football on the Wednesday pod. Then we'll have all this reaction. What we've uh, what we talked about with the players, Devin Brown, new quarterback in like a lot of interesting dudes that we'll talk to. On Wednesday, we appreciate you guys. And go back and listen to the basketball podcast that Stephen and I did on Monday, if you haven't listened to that yet. And readclean.com/slash/osu. Okay, I think that's it for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird. I'm Doug Maurice. and that was Buckeye Talk.